Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokayak, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and the Fed meeting from last week was pretty front and center for us in the macro section, in which Jerome Powell, as I think probably most people have seen at this point, said that the dis- disinflationary process has begun. But in spite of that, referencing disinflation, a lot of the commentary from him was still somewhat hawkish, talking about the job not being done yet and that they would still need to be raising rates in order to get services and inflation under control, which is something that we've picked up on in the last few weeks as well. But Eric, any thoughts? Yeah, I think what you picked up is about the disinflationary comment. That's very interesting. But then the second point, which I found very interesting also, was about like, the sticky inflation that is in services. That's it's something that we've picked on before. So non-housing related inflation that has to do with services is not going down as much as the Fed one. So I think they want to focus on that a lot more. So my question was, how do they get down that bit of inflation that has more to do with people wanting services more than goods, which you've seen for the last one year post-pandemic? What would be your thoughts on that? I think that services inflation is really a proxy for the inflationary psychology. I think that with goods inflation and manufacturing dynamics, it's really easy to have a situation like we had in the pandemic where, where demand exceeds supply. But on the services side, really one of the biggest drivers of inflation is the psychology of both a business owner and a labor provider of, you know, what is the wage that's required to have you work for us? And from that perspective, a lot of it, again, becomes more psychological, it becomes about what's the broader inflationary environment and the perception of that. And so I think the Fed this or last week is starting to narrow in around this like 4% core number is what they're really seeing as the underlying inflation rate. And that would be consistent to me with where inflationary psychology is. So it's running above 2%, materially above 2%, 4%, but it's not really at the 6, 7, 8, 9 range anymore, which was being driven by goods inflation anyways. And so again, if you have to have positive real rates, you're still talking about greater than 4%, 5, 6%. But yeah, they, in order to really take this inflationary psychology away, they have to angle for a recession, I think is really what it is. You have to have labor markets soften and that's what they keep implying. But this is the dynamic they're dealing with. And then something else that the airman speaks in one of our quotes is the issue of capital markets trading whatever it is the Fed is trying to do. Last week was one of the big pops in terms of the markets. Tech stocks were reporting earnings, not very exciting kind of earnings, but then the market was up like Facebook, I think gained almost, I think eight Snapchats in one, snaps in one uh, trading session in an aftermarket, so to speak. So I think like what is, they, there is a bit of a conundrum here as the IMF points out that they, this easing of financial conditions at the same time as the central bank is trying to tighten. What's your take on that? I think the, obviously the rate of change in inflation is getting better. And so markets will front run and will look towards the future, obviously, their forward-looking mechanisms. They may be getting a little ahead of themselves in how much the Fed has really tamed inflation, how long interest rates will stay where they are. It's still a long time, it seems, before the Fed would be lowering rates or adding stimulus to the economy, which is something that people have been trained over the last 15 years to expect the Fed to add more stimulus to the economy. And that's really made markets more buoyant. But again, like around this 4% number of inflation, right now the underlying 4% inflation rate is actually benefiting somewhat from goods deflation. You've had this big decline in terms of goods prices, commodity prices, 
And that starts to get annualized mid-year. So this was actually from Jerome Powell talking about that low inflation readings may prove transitory. And so they are like looking for mid-year potential increase in inflation. And again, if that starts to come into focus for markets, then this could prove to be more of like a bear market rally than a sustained bottom. I was surprised you used the word transitory again. <laughs> Top the one the word a while back. Maybe moving to the big tech, which were reporting mostly last week. So I think one, a couple of points, of course, we picked one was that they're not growing as fast as they used to. I was very surprised by the reflection from Meta CEO was talking about, okay, we've grown like crazy the past couple of years. We do not expect the future to look like the past. And that was seen across most of the things that have been growing, including like cloud, I think the rate has decelerated around 30% to 15% for Amazon, for AWS. So I think, so I think Across tech, what is a real slowdown and even Meta had their first earnings decline last year. So I think in all this, for me, the first takeaway is that there's a huge, they're resetting, I think, expectations in terms of how fast they grow. And that means that they're focusing a lot more on costs. That's why across board, Meta and the rest are saying, hey, it's our year of efficiency. So just, what are your takeaway? And by the way, those are a good call on Meta in October in terms of the quotes. I think that's a little brag from the transcript. We should talk about it a bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the tech sector is super interesting right now. Not only, obviously, the stocks got hit pretty hard in 2022 as interest rates rose, but it's clear that there actually are true slowing trends from a revenue growth standpoint for some of these big companies, for Facebook and Google, especially as advertising spend starts to pull back. And I think the fact that they are becoming economically sensitive at all is an indication in and of itself that they're entering a different phase of their life than, than they enjoyed for most of their growth period. I think you actually tweeted this, Eric, that Zuckerberg wished Meta 20th anniversary, happy yes. 20th birthday. 19th. It's old, right? It's not fresh base anymore. And Zuckerberg, even on the call, actually said that we're going into a different phase of our existence and focused on efficiency and all of those things. And so it's interesting that as they become less hyper growers, you would expect for sure multiples to compress and become more like market multiples for these companies. Maybe they're consumer staples or something like that, given their market position, but it is just different for them. And then juxtapose that with AI. And they actually have now this aggressive force that's threatening their business models in many ways. And so they're trying to pull back on investment at the same time they need to ramp investment in AI. And that is not a good recipe for success in fighting the disruptive force. And so that's something that's a really important dynamic here. But any additional thoughts on the tech space? I think what you're saying, what you're saying about them, they're at a point where they are both attacking and defending at the same time. Defending because it's investors who are demanding like, hey, you need to cut down spend, you need to cut down on the number of employees that you have, and you need to focus and stop these other bets that you're making that are not growing. They want to focus really on the stuff that's actually threatening their growth and existence, which include AI. And especially for Google, they talk about, they actually mentioned the word AI 62 times. So it shows you like they're really focused on this thread that is actually threatening their growth. So I think that in short, like where they are right now, it's a really tricky point where they have to both defend in terms of the investors that are looking at their cost items. And at the same time, they have to attack because there's a threat that's actually threatening their existence at the same time. Have you seen maybe Meta be in this part of growth again in the past? Is this something completely new now? I think this is newer. I think it's definitely... For all of them, the mentality around growth versus harvesting is really a change. I think that these companies 
again, encapsulated by Zuckerberg and Facebook of calling this the year of efficiency, this sounds a lot more like a mature company. And that's the phase of life that these businesses, at least these parts of the tech businesses, which are the core parts of the business of advertising driven content is reaching a saturation point now. And so new avenues need to be opened in order to create hyper growth and look at the pharmaceutical companies. It's hard to actually move the needle once you're so big as well, or you can have a great new product, but if you already have a huge base, it's hard to really push that base higher. Now, the flip side of that is you have so many more resources to invest if you invest in a bold manner in a new market, but you also can end up losing a lot. And so Zuckerberg was investing in the metaverse, thinking that this was the market, the point that he needed to defend. And it doesn't seem like that's materializing at the rate that he expected it to. But AI has materialized in a much faster fashion than people expected. And look, OpenAI had $10 billion in investment from Microsoft. Facebook is spending $30 billion a year in CapEx, $30 billion a year in CapEx. So both Facebook and Google have uh, near unlimited resources to invest in these spaces, but will they? This is a classic innovators dilemma stuff. It's really interesting to watch it happen in real time, as, especially so quickly companies that were really viewed even just nine months ago as unassailable moats. Definitely. I think uh, this, the shift though from Metaverse last year to AI this year has been pretty fast. At the same time, like you could see at least for AI, there are actually real potential use cases that are ahead. And I think it's so funny though, that still there are some companies that are actually not taking chat GPT very seriously. And that includes Amazon's AWS VTO when I was talking about security. And I think they, they've been poking holes a lot at chat GPT's security features. Do you think that's a real thing or it's just them trying to dismiss a competitor at the same time as they build their, themselves up to be able to contain them? I, I think it is real that there are, that ChatGPT is not always accurate, but I also think that this is classic innovators dilemma that initial launch versions of products are not going to be as robust as their ultimate deployment version of the product. We should all also be mindful that there could be other areas of AI that are brewing besides just large language models, which would take this from just being like a large language model AI boom to an AI general revolution. If we have full self-driving vehicles deployed widely across the country, even two years, I think that would be a huge difference from expectations and it would really have massive impacts on capital markets. Something to keep in mind. So I think I would tie that to the Tesla quotes that you had, I think a week or two back about them also investing heavily in their own robot that they're making up so to help them with their autonomous vehicles. So I think that this is a very interesting area. As you saw, like GM have around 1 million driverless miles already clocked up. And I think that's really good. I don't know how far Google are with theirs, with Waymo. They didn't provide any update this. I didn't see it. I didn't see I, it. But I didn't see it either. I think this time they're very focused on search and AI. If there is a market in addition to large language models that's opened up like a mass market, like full self-driving or something like that, the suppliers to AI models like NVIDIA are going to have huge growth avenues priced into them that are in excess of anything that anybody's expecting right now. I could imagine NVIDIA being a multi-trillion dollar company. We have that, that sort of boom in AI going on. I'm not saying go out and buy NVIDIA at a $500 billion market cap right now, but that sort of thing. And then also we need to be watching like AMD is releasing this new GPU. Is that something that could take market share from NVIDIA? I don't know. I don't have an understanding at this point, but 
those sorts of potential market share shifts could be massive in unlocking value. This is an area we're watching very closely the transcript and we encourage our listeners and readers to watch as well. Yep. I think, as you say, it's good to pay attention to some of these shifts in the market. Is that a good point to close on today? <laughs> yeah, I but... think so. Let's look. Thank you so much for joining us on the transcript podcast. You're always here to cover adding calls. And uh, last week was one of the heaviest ones. We covered a lot and we have a lot of nice threads on Twitter, Twitter handle at the transcripts underscore. So check us out there. Definitely. We'll continue covering this week. There's a lot. Disney's reporting this week, Cloud Chaos, really good companies to keep track of, especially Cloudflare, because they also provide us of security to AI, to chat GPT and core. I'll see you around and thank you for joining us. Bye from us.